Let me ask you a question. Do you have a deep knowing that you're only just scratching the surface of where you're capable of taking your business growth? Are you successful but have some invisible hurdles that are slowing you down? Business growth comes from creating and implementing strategies and frameworks, but strategies and frameworks on their own will not take you to the level I know you desire and are capable of. Living in alignment with your unique human design will help you to attract the abundance you are ready for. And I've just created a free guide to help you understand your unique human design blueprint. It's called the Human Design Advantage, and you can get your copy over at samanthariley.global forward slash advantage. You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, episode 80. And today we're talking about setting up a business that's a passion project, something that really and truly inspires you and lights you up from the inside. So stay tuned. I'm Samantha Riley, and after being in business for 20 years, I took the leap of faith from a traditional bricks and mortar business into the online world and created a business based around my expertise. Now I have a life that gives me the freedom to work wherever I have an internet connection. I'm now obsessed with helping the unheard experts who are brilliant at what they do but feel like the world's best kept secret transform to influential thought leaders, all while creating a business which gives them the freedom to create their life by design. Join me as we explore the strategies that you can implement to create and grow a business based on your expertise. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Welcome back to another Monday episode of the Thought Leaders Business Lab. It's so great to be hanging here with you today for what is an amazing, amazing interview. Uh, Today, I am interviewing Patricia Sheets from The Sweetest Gift and she shares a story that is absolutely amazing. Now, make sure you listen to the end of this episode because we're going to be actually going to Patricia's... Actually, I don't want to share too much about what she's doing, but we're going to be having a little meetup. So if anyone wants to join us, uh, if you're in Sydney and you're around, then she shares at the end of this episode uh, where we're all going to be meeting up and catching up and... Uh, having some dessert, which sounds fantastic, right? So let me tell you a little bit about Patricia. She is an amazing lady who's led an extraordinary life for her 36 years. She's a double organ transplant recipient. She's cheated death three times and has survived some incredible health challenges, which she's going to talk about today. She's not someone that gives up and she certainly will not be told that she can't do something. Let me tell you, she's spent her almost eight years post-transplant life living a life that many would only dream to do in a lifetime. Uh, And now she's combining her passions of baking and helping others into her life's purpose in her charity, The Sweetest Gift. So I'm not going to talk anymore. I just want to jump straight into today's episode. It's absolutely amazing. So without further ado, I welcome into the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Patricia Sheets. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Patricia. I'm so happy and excited to have you joining me here today. 
Thanks, Sam. How are you? I'm awesome and I'm really looking forward to what we're going to talk about today because today's topic is a little bit of a different topic to what we t- I normally talk about anyway, but it's about building your passion project and you have got a really great story, which I would love you to share before we even talk about what it is you're doing. I'd love you to share your story of how you got to where you are today. <laughs> I'll give you the very, I guess, not edited version, but the shorter version, there is a very long story behind how I got to be where I am now. But in short, I was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic, 11 months of age. I had a really nasty version of of that disease. And no matter what my parents did, no matter what my doctors did, and no matter what I did, it was really hard to keep under control. So I would look after myself. Obviously, my parents did. They did an amazing job of looking after me. But it was just this disease that just really didn't behave well. And so in my early 20s, I started to lose my vision. So I'm actually legally blind in my left eye and partially sighted in my right. You know, I went through all those other nasty complications that you hear of about diabetes. I had a stroke in 2008. And then I guess, you know, lost the sensation in my fingers and my toes. And early in, oh, sorry, mid to late 2010, I started to go into kidney failure. So I'd only been married for about a month when I had um, found out that basically my kidneys were failing and something really drastic needed to be done for me. So I was placed on dialysis not very long after. And dialysis is a really sort of harsh, harsh way of keeping you alive, so to Mm. speak. Because if your kidneys aren't working, not much else goes on. So at that time as well, there was starting to be discussion about transplantation. And so that was a very big step, obviously, to go through and and a lot of testing and and all of that sort of thing. And and I was originally just worked up for a kidney transplant. But because my diabetes was just essentially out of control almost, I was put forward for a kidney and pancreas transplant. So Mm -hmm. I was essentially dying of my diabetes. There was no sort of way around it. And how old were you then? I was 27, I think, when I was placed on the transplant list. I waited nine months, all the time on dialysis. Every probably second week, I was admitted to hospital at least. I spent my days going from bed to the couch in the living room and, you know, sleeping half of the day, then going back to bed once my husband came home. And that was my life. I was Mm. 27 and living the life of an elderly person, I guess you could say, living in the nursing home. You know, my family came over and, and would take me out for the day, but... Some days I just wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the energy or the capability of leaving the house. So that was pretty, pretty horrible. But thankfully, it's actually almost eight years today. It'll be eight years on Sunday, 26th of May. I, well, 25th of May, I got the call. Um, I got a call while I was sitting on dialysis at, at the hospital, surrounded by all the nurses that had looked after me for so long and received a call that a donor had been found and they were a match. And I was just basically to go straight to Westmead Hospital and and I underwent my transplant on the 26th of May. So I woke up in the intensive care unit and I felt like I could run from Westmead back across Sydney to where I lived. I felt a million dollars. And so, yeah, it was that instantaneous a change for me and it was amazing and kind of made me realise how unwell I'd actually been and Mm. photos of me that night before. And it's, it's a very stark comparison between the me now and the me then. But it was also a bit of a, a bittersweet moment because while I was celebrating, my family were happy and, and, you know, my extended family, my in-laws and everyone like that, we were all thrilled. There was obviously that thought that dropped into my mind that there's another family somewhere that, that's grieving because yeah. their loved one had passed away and, and they decided to, to donate their organs. And that's such an incredible decision at such a, a difficult time in, in someone else's life. 
Yeah. So that generosity didn't sort of get lost on me. And I sort of vowed then and there to, to really honor my donor and do the absolute best I could to make sure that the gift that I'd received actually went to absolutely amazing use. And, you know, my actions would speak louder than my words. So as I was in my room, I was sort of very aware that another family was grieving and, and that they had made this really difficult decision at such a stressful time in their life and at such a, an unexpected moment. And they'd had the generosity to, to give their loved one's organs to somebody else that they'd never meet. It's a complete stranger that receives them. So it's the ultimate gift and it was something that didn't get lost on me at all. So I vowed then and there to, to make sure that I honoured my donor and their family and that decision because it was such a huge, huge thing to do for some other person that you'll essentially never meet. It's a massive ultimate gift, really, saving someone else's life and, and doing it completely anonymously. It's, it's absolutely remarkable. And I kind of vowed that I'd let my actions speak louder than my words ever could. And so I did everything I could to sort of spend the best day, the rest of my life, essentially, being the best version of myself that I could be and sort of, I guess, took on all these new things and did all these amazing, I guess, opportunities that I'd not had the chance to do. So, you know, when most people in their early 20s and stuff go traveling and uni and things like that, I'd missed all of that stuff. I'd been mm. well the whole time. So we traveled. My husband and I renewed our wedding vows on our fifth wedding anniversary, which had oh. happened. Just after which, you know, for us, it had been such a life-changing moment, me having my transplant. And in that five years between getting married and our anniversary, so much had changed. So, and I was incredibly unwell on my wedding day. So, <laughs> yeah, kind of, we kind of made a, another day of it and, and had our family and friends there and, and had an, just an incredible time. You know, I climbed the Harbour Bridge and I've swum in the Great Barrier Reef and I've walked through the Daintree Rainforest. But one of the other things that I really picked up was my passion and that was Funnily enough, being a type 1 diabetic, it's the ultimate irony to think that picking up a desire to make sweet food is the thing you do after having a life-saving transplant, but that's exactly what happened to me. I was sort of picked up a book on macarons one day and started piping them and found my niche. Despite having vision in only one eye, I had this knack of just being able to get them right. So I sort of grew a little, a little business from there and started selling to cafes and things like that. And then I guess that got me onto reality TV just three years ago now. So um, I was a contestant on, on Zumbo's Just Desserts, which was an amazing opportunity for me, a huge, I guess, boost to my confidence, but also it kind of cemented for me the idea that cooking and particularly sweet and pastry sort of food was really where my passion lied and it's something that I really wanted to make a career out of. So I went and trained. I'm now a qualified pastry chef and I had an, uh, just an incredible time learning and, and, and really honing my craft. But the transplantation isn't quite as, it's not a cure. Transplantation isn't by any means a cure. So there's still side effects that happen. And so one of the side effects from the medications that I take is osteoporosis and I break bones very easily. And one day I broke my right hand, which being a pastry chef is uh -huh. almost career ending. And that sort of made me think, what do other people do in my situation? And having a chronic illness and being a transplant recipient and being injured or unwell and kind of unfit to work. I'd worked for myself for so long because I'd sort of not been able to sustain employment through another, a traditional employer. And so I got to talking to friends that were also chronically ill and, and they sort of echoed my thought pattern that, you know, you work when you can and you don't when you don't. And it was that sort of penny drop moment that was like, is this really what reality is like for people with chronic illness as well? Like all people or a big chunk of people with chronic illness. And so I conducted a survey and we got about 300 responses that sort of completely echoed that. 
and it was sad, but it was also a little bit empowering as well, knowing that there was no change, there was no sort of solution for these people. And I had this great idea that what if we just created a place where we could employ these people and give them that flexibility and the stability that they need in, in their lives? Because having a chronic illness and having a transplant shouldn't mean that you can't contribute to society and still work and also have some sort of financial independence because most chronic illness sufferers don't actually have access to um, Centrelink or any sort of welfare benefits. So if you're too underworld to work, you're financially reliant on your family. I'm just going to stop you here before you go into you know, what, you, what you've got happening. A, I wanted to, to go back. You know, you said that you've been lucky enough to, you know, swim, swim in the Great Barrier Reef and, yeah. and walk through the Daintree and, uh, you know, climb the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And I think that there's so many people out there that have probably all done those things that maybe have not even realised how blessed we all are to have these experiences and really look at them and say, wow, this, like, we're alive. We've been able to do these things rather than just like, oh, cool, we did it and move on. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure everyone has the obligatory, you know, photo at the top of the Harbour Bridge and things like that. But for me, that was something I never thought I'd get to do. I was told after I'd had my transplant that it was expected that I wouldn't survive until Christmas. So I wouldn't have seen Christmas in 2011 if I hadn't have had my transplant. That really hit home. I mean, I knew I was unwell, but I didn't know I was that unwell. Yeah. So yeah, those those are the experiences that people do sort of go, oh yeah, I did that. That's a big tick. For me, that was huge. Every Christmas is amazing because I, I it's, an, it's another Christmas that I never got to have, like I wouldn't have had. And yeah, it sort of makes you realise and appreciate really what you've got. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lesson in that for us all because none of us know if we're going to be hit by a bus as we're walking outside our front door today, you know, and to none of us really know how many Christmases we have and sometimes we can for those of us who are so lucky to have our health it probably doesn't cross our minds enough to actually be grateful for what we've got in our lives and I think that just by you sharing that story it's it's such a beautiful blessing to all of us to realize that we've all just got one life and to be grateful for everything in it to be grateful for our family our friends and for all the experiences that we have I think that's just a beautiful lesson for all of us yeah absolutely absolutely and Going back to, you were talking about the people with chronic illness, the people that uh, have had transplants, and they're not able to work because, and I know you and I have had, had a big chat about this before we started recording, there's a lot of reasons they can't work and it's not just their health, is it? Correct. I'd love you to share it so that we all have some sort of understanding of what people are actually going through because this actually shocked me a little bit in the sense that I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest. Yeah. So whilst it's not usually our health that lets us down, I mean, for transplant recipients particularly, we're immunosuppressed. So we're a little bit, um, we have no immune system or it's very, very low um, to obviously keep our, our donated organs intact and working correctly and that's just one of those things that we have to cope with and it's it's you know it's the lesser of two evils it's mm-hmm. a pair of two situations really but it does make us prone to i mean it's winter now so we're in cold and flu season it makes us incredibly prone to things like that we pick that up and makes us very very sick very very quickly it's not just things like that it's also the medical appointments that we have you know that you can have a specialist appointment that suddenly turns into three others and having an afternoon off work for two or three hours might be okay once in a while, but then when you've got to have the following week off a day and then two to two weeks later, another afternoon off and then and, and things like that and it becomes consistent, you can understand as an employer, yeah. you kind of need your staff there. And I yeah. totally appreciate that. It's it's not something I sort of think, oh, that's, that's wrong. You shouldn't treat people that way. It's 
something I totally am aware of and appreciate that that's, you know, you need to be there if you're an employee, but it, in our lives, it's just incredibly difficult. The other factor that, that ties into it all is social isolation. So mm. a lot of people that are chronically unwell have spent a lot of time on their own or with the same two or three people in their immediate family. And that mm-hmm. becomes pretty hard. I mean, we've got a big issue with loneliness in, in general society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the people with chronic illness and things like that, it's really magnified, I think. And, and it's one of those areas that's not really well recognised and certainly not um, addressed. And that's the other reason for, I guess, our our idea. And we're hoping to bring people out of, I guess, their four walls and, and give them something different to do, even if it's just once a week. It's that reason to get out of the house and it's a positive reason. It's not just, oh, another medical appointment. It's, hey, I'm going to go see people today and I'm going to interact with people and, and these people understand my situation because they're in it too. Um, totally. quite like that. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love this whole idea. So you did this survey. You got 300 responses. Yep. Tell us what happened next. You know, you got these responses and you thought, you know, did you already have the idea of what you were going to do or is this just the beginning? I guess it was just the beginning. It was more... You know, some of the questions in our survey were what some of the barriers are to employment. I guess in the, in my mind, I'd, I'd had sort of some sort of, there had to be something done about this. There had to be some sort of action at the end of this survey, but I don't know what I was actually looking for. Mm-hmm. Just, I guess, trying to cement my idea that people with chronic illnesses and transplant recipients don't have stable employment. But I don't mm-hmm. think I realised what I was going to do with that that information once I found it out. And I guess once I, I had calculated it and, and, and looked at it and, and realised that it was a, a pretty significant issue, what kind of form of employment can can me as just one person offer to all of these people? And I knew that that wasn't really an option for me, but at least if I could help some of them, then that would be amazing and create some awareness about what we were doing. Also amazing. So we created a restaurant. We came up with the idea, a concept for a restaurant, a social enterprise. So a not-for-profit, for-purpose restaurant that employed and trained transplant recipients and people with chronic illnesses to give them that stability and the flexibility and that social inclusion that that's so lacking in a lot of their lives. And so one day I was sitting here and all of a sudden the sweetest gift popped into my head. The idea for the restaurant was always a dessert restaurant, I guess, tapping into not only my skill set as a pastry chef, but knowing a lot of other recipients and people with chronic illnesses have a great creative flair. And there's nothing quite like making desserts to, to really showcase that creative flair. And there's a lot of research behind baking for other people and, and the psychological benefits of it. We really wanted to showcase that. And so it was a dessert restaurant that, that employed these people in, it, in all different facets, not just cooking and, and customer service. We sort of thought bigger picture, if people can't stand on their feet for long periods of time, what can we offer them? And it uh-huh. was like, they can be accountants or you now they might have a bookkeeping background or a marketing background, or they could do our social media as well. So all of a sudden... We didn't have maybe 10 or 15 people that we could employ. It was like 20 or 30. And that idea just kind of kept evolving and growing. And it's been two years and a lot of blood, sweat and tears, I suppose you could say. And we're just about to launch our first pop-up restaurant, which is just a huge step forward for us and an amazing positive step as well for, for what we're doing. So... I think this whole idea is incredible. When we connected on LinkedIn and you told me the story, I can actually remember exactly where I was. Like, because like, I remember I was in the car. I can remember exactly where I was just like, oh, my goodness, this story is incredible. It's so incredible. So you've had a lot of support and help to get this up and running. Yeah. Can you explain 
to take this from concept to something that's reality and obviously being a not-for-profit, what mm. are some of the things that you needed to do to be able to pull this off? Well, the first thing we had to do was set ourselves up as a charity, which was a lot of work. It's not easy and agree that it, it shouldn't be just a, a snap finger decision and, and someone suddenly a charity. So there was a lot of research that I had to conduct and go through and a lot of, not hoops, but yeah, I guess hoops that you have to jump through to to be a registered charity and, and then be endorsed by the taxation office as a, a gift recipient. So if people donate to us and are generous enough to do that, they can write it off on the tax. So that was a big important step for us, obviously, to, to give us a little bit of extra funding where we needed it. But things like our lease, I mean, it was a chance encounter. For the past two years, I've been telling anyone who will give me two seconds of their time <laughs> for what we're doing. Uh-huh. that one person one day will be like, oh, I know someone or, oh, I've got something. And a couple of months ago, I actually had that moment where I was running my mouth off as usual as what we do and who we're helping and, and things like that. And someone said to me, I've got a pastry kitchen that we don't use and we're not in our restaurant every night. Do you want to use that? And I think for one of the first times in my life and one of the very rare occasions, <laughs> I was speechless. I was just absolutely gobsmacked. Like right then and there, all of our, all of our um, I guess, fate had suddenly changed and it was a chance encounter but a very, very valuable one to us to, um, to I guess, progress our idea. Totally. And you say it was a chance encounter but I think that, you know, I want to touch on the fact that you were saying you, you shot your mouth off to everyone that would listen. You knew exactly what your vision was. You knew what the plan was. You knew exactly what you were out to achieve and you shared that vision with everyone. So, you know, it was only a matter of time before it was bound to happen. And I think so many people are afraid to share what makes them passionate so much. They're afraid to, you know, to be judged and afraid that people will say, oh, my God, you know, you again. But in actual fact, people want to hear that. They want to hear this amazing vision and they want to be part of the ride. I mean, you found that, right? Yeah, exactly. I think me being excited about it hopefully makes other people excited about it. And also, I guess, for me, it's it's something I've lived. And, and the biggest part of what we do is, is I don't want other people to go through what I've been through. So if I can help, you know, 50 transplant recipients in our, you know, first 12 months of trade, then that's absolutely incredible. That's 50 people who, you know, have some financial independence and have some some employment and a place to go and you know, some other people to support them that aren't just their family members. Absolutely amazing. So I guess that passion and and that really finding that purpose, I guess, you know, for me, my passion had always been pastry from my transplant. It was always the thing I did. It was my way of zoning out and switching off and, and things like that. And I changed that into my career and then combined that with what I guess I found my purpose to be was to help other people. And I found it in the most niche way that I could that I guess helped myself as well. I think that that purpose, it's the vision that's the big thing, but it's the pastry, you know, it's the desserts and the pa- being the pastry chef that's the vehicle. So, you know, it's about marrying up those two things because I think you can almost marry up just about any skill or, you know, let's call it the vehicle with your purpose. You just have to be a little bit yeah. creative. Yeah. And for us, it was also, I guess, thinking outside the box a little bit, you know, there's actually no other dessert restaurant social enterprises in Australia whatsoever. And there's no one else that actually employs transplant recipients and people with chronic illnesses. So yeah, we had two, we have two big major Australian firsts behind us, which is incredible. And we're so excited by that. But it was just, why hasn't someone done this before? 
Yeah. Sometimes when I explain it to people, they're like, there's nothing like this. Actually, no, there's nothing like it. Why isn't there anything like this? Absolutely. And I, I don't know whether it's just no one's thought enough about it or it's just no one's lived through it enough to kind of go, I can make a difference in that and, and, and do it. So I guess that's me. So totally, totally. At some point and, and yeah. So tell us where, where this restaurant is for, because we all want to go there. <laughs> we all want to visit. Uh, yes. So we're at um, the City Tattersalls Club in um, the Sydney CBD, which is um, 198 Pitt Street. Um, we're on level one and we're there on Wednesday nights um, starting June the 5th from 5pm till 10pm. Awesome. I would love it if every single person that's listening to this episode could share that out and fill this dessert restaurant for Patricia because this isn't just a place to go for dessert. This is a, an enterprise that is empowering and helping just so many people yeah. in it's just, I just, I'm almost lost for words myself and that doesn't happen to me very often either. I think your story is so inspiring and what you've done is it's so huge in not just for yourself and giving yourself a purpose and it's such a thankful way of thanking your donor's family, but for all of the people that have gone through that story on both sides of that, I think it's just such a beautiful, beautiful thing that you've done and I really choked up. I really hope that the people of Sydney can support your dessert cafe and I will certainly be there on June 5th. Yay. That's so <laughs> exciting. Thank you. It's, I mean, gosh, it's, to me, it doesn't feel like anything. It's, it, knowing it's a huge thing for other people is amazing, but it's not like, I don't know. <laughs> it's not what I'm here for. It's, it's, it's just to help these people. But part of me also knows how, see, I'm choking up myself. <laughs> Um, part of me also knows how big this is and how big this opportunity is and I guess the impact that it can make on so many people. And so, yeah, we want the pop-up to grow into a full-time restaurant and that's, you know, what we, we envisage for the next maybe 12 months or so and, and then grow from there and we want to, you know, help as many people as we can. So, you know, Melbourne and Canberra and Newcastle and, and everywhere in between regionally and metropolitan, we want to help as many people that we can we know there's a huge huge need and there's so many not only transplant recipients but people with chronic illnesses that kind of get missed yeah I've got friends with fibromyalgia and I'm going to reverse that because my google just kicked in oh that's cool <laughs> so I've got so many friends with fibromyalgia and you know rheumatoid arthritis and things like that that you know kind of almost live to work they sort of work so hard that they spend all of their not work time recovering, spending their time in bed and or, or, you know, basically not having any social life because they're so exhausted, but they've got no other way out of it. Mm. They have to, to do what they do and it's, it's tough. Totally. Yeah. Patricia, how do people find out about the sweetest thing? How do they connect with you? How do they connect with your social handles? Where are you hanging out? Tell us all about it. Yep, our website's www.thesweetestgift.org.au and um, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And, yeah, I, I hope, Sam, you can pop our socials up for us because it's a little bit <laughs> – our website, our addresses are long and, and things like that, but um, our Instagram handle's at thesweetestgiftau. 
And I think if you Facebook search us, I think we come up pretty quickly, thankfully. We've got some good following and, and we hope to grow that a lot, lot more. But, you know, I guess people out there that, that run businesses and things like that, this is a really awesome, not to plug it too much, but a really awesome project to get on top of now. <laughs> Quick, stocks are limited. Before <laughs> <laughs> other people find out that it's an awesome idea and get in before you do. Absolutely. So everyone just look up the sweetest gift. I would absolutely love everyone to share this episode out. Get on all of the social, all the social platforms, follow Facebook, follow on Instagram. And I would love to see as many listeners, uh, the sweetest thing on June 5th and to have a big thought leaders business lab meetup and support Patricia, support the team and uh, just, yeah. It's, it's going to be amazing. Best of luck to you. I hope it all goes well. And, and this is only the beginning of amazing and huge things to come for you. Exactly. I'm, I look forward to sort of chatting to you in maybe 12 months time. And here I am now, and this is what's happened and giving you an update, although I'm sure you will know everything anyway, but absolutely. We'll be following along. Thanks so much, Patricia. Thank you, Sam. to grow and scale your business so you can make an even bigger impact? One of the reasons I've been able to achieve the success I have over the years can be attributed to one simple factor, surrounding myself with like-minded people, people who think big like me, who have a desire for growth and who understand the challenges we face when growing and scaling a business. That's why I've created a free community, especially for thought leaders and experts just like you, and I'd love you to join us. Just request access to my free Facebook group at Thought Leaders Inner Circle. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love you to share this on your favorite social account. Just head to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast, click on your favorite episode and you'll see the buttons right there to share the love. And as this show is new, I would love, love, love you to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. See you next time in the Thought Leaders Business Lab.